Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning. And we are coming to the conclusion now of our series in the book of Acts. We started this uh, Labor Day weekend of uh, 2019, and now here we are, 2021, right before Labor Day weekend, and now we're going to be seeing how all of this fits together, because in that very first exposition uh, that we had in Acts chapter 1, the dominant theme of that passage was the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 1, we had examined very carefully this statement by the physician Luke that Jesus he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them, his disciples, during 40 days. It was a very intensive um, class experience speaking about the kingdom of God, you see. Now, it must have provoked such interest that we're told just a few verses later that when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they had all kinds of political thoughts as they were under Roman leadership authority as to when the promises that God had given with regard to the kingdom were going to come into fruition. And now what you find is that brilliantly, I mean utterly brilliantly, the physician Luke, who writes the book of Luke as well as the book of Acts, has taken the opening section in the book of Acts, bookends it now with the last verses in the book of Acts, pulls together one major emphasis, the kingdom of God. Because we're going to begin reading now this final passage in the book of Acts, beginning in verse 23, the 28th chapter. And here you and I now, we find these words. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God. And trying to convince them about Jesus, from, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So let me pause there to say, he was trying to convince them regarding Jesus, and he didn't have the New Testament. He was using then Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so on to begin to link together the promises of the Old Testament regarding the kingdom of God to Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. So again now, reading what we have in the second portion of verse 23, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That was their scripture at that time. Okay, read on. Surprise? Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, 
They departed after Paul had made one statement. He's provocative, you know. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they've closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And we pause to say that that was not plan B. This is one singular plan, that the Jews were not to be a reservoir of truth, but a channel of truth. The means by which God would reach the world was through the Jewish people. And so then, this was not God saying, oops, I better come up with an alternative plan. This was God's plan all along, that they would be a blessing to the nations, as you read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Now, we end the book of Acts with these final words. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So not only have we bookended now the book of Acts, we've taken the final section and bookended it as well with the idea of the kingdom of God, because in verse 23, we saw the emphasis upon the kingdom of God and the very last verse, we're dealing with the kingdom of God. We've got to understand now, how do we connect the dots and make this relevant to 2021 living? There's our challenge this morning as we look to our Lord together now in prayer. Father, we thank you first of all for the way in which you have presented your truth. Changeless truth for changing times. Through the book of Acts, not only have we seized that operating principle, we found through this two-year period that Paul and the other disciples used flexible methods for fluid times, which we have attempted to do during these days of COVID and so forth. What we want to do, Father, is to not marry ourselves to methods, but marry ourselves to the message that Jesus Christ died for our sins and on the third day was raised from the grave. And he will come again. For those that are watching today online and will be in the days and the weeks to come, almost like another service in itself. 
for those in the prior service as well as this service. We're asking now, Lord, in a very powerful, unique, distinct way, you bring to bear this whole idea of the kingdom of God upon the way in which we practically live our lives day in, day out. That there's an issue of authority here. And that Jesus Christ reigns. He offered the kingdom of God teachings and emphasized them after resurrection. We find that fascinating. And we find it fascinating that Paul would end his teachings likewise. So Father, help us now in a nation such as ours that grapples with uppercase, lowercase authority issues and tends to want to flip them, reverse them. That we as the congregation of multiple services now can find a way to remain cutting edge and present in a very warm and yet powerful manner the truths regarding Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done. So Father, these moments to come are significant. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an extraordinary painting that was created by Rembrandt that appears on the screen. First of all, it's extraordinary to me because he was 21 years old when he created this. He was the painter of what we'll call the Reformation, where people around the world were being brought to the essence of the truths of Scripture, uh, that salvation comes exclusively by God's grace, not by human works. You see. So now, interpret this painting with me. And notice with me, first of all, here's a man who has gone through so much, wearied. He has he is got scrolls in front of him. Is it the scriptures? Is he pondering the Older Testament? After all, he's got the equivalent of two PhDs in theology. Notice how he is deep in thought, reflective. Now lift your eyes slightly. I want you to see the dark and light imagery here. Notice around him that the setting, his imprisonment, is rather dark. But notice where the lighting occurs. It's in essence structuring his thought processes. It's just above and around his head. As if something from above is illuminating his thinking as he is now pondering the ways to communicate truths. For you see, we have in our Bibles what are known as the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Those four books were written during days of which Paul was incarcerated. He was in custody. When his, his freedoms were restricted, the gospel was unrestricted. 
he did not allow the hindrances of restriction to keep him from communicating biblical truth. If you feel restricted this morning, limited this morning, by maybe your past, maybe the circumstances of your present, the fears of the future, I want you to check out Paul, who does not waste his time in his latter years, but invests his time because I don't want you to miss this. What fascinates me now is that just off to the side in this picture is a sword. Can you find it? It's a Roman sword. Which makes me think that we could be viewed, be thinking in terms of the fact that Paul's martyrdom is not far away. But notice the sword is not in the light. The sword is in the dark. What's being communicated here? While the scriptures are illuminated, there is light, the sword is darkened. It's as if God is saying, don't confuse uppercase, lowercase authority. Rome's not in charge. God is. Roman government, lowercase authority. Jesus Christ, risen from the grave, uppercase authority. Don't flip them. The sword is in the dark. The Bible is in the light. And Paul, as he's now penning his thoughts and reflecting upon truth, has light that seems to be enveloping the thought processes. Now, what envelops your thought processes? What's darkened? Or what's enlightened? God's word then has a powerful way of penetrating the mindset of even today's culture, timeless truths communicated in timely ways, not time-bound ways. We've got to ask continuously, how do I communicate to the culture of today, not yesterday? So what I want to do now is to begin to ponder with you, why is it that the book of Acts begins with the kingdom of God, the book of Acts ends with the kingdom of God, and as Mark put it in his, in his gospel, recording the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, that after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. How do we pull all this together and make it practical? Three thoughts. Three thoughts. The first now is going to come out of verses 23 and 24 of the 28th chapter here of the book of Acts. So let's put it this way to start with, that as you and I, as we consider the promise of God's kingdom, note first of all with me the divisions that are inevitable. If you're going to speak of God's government being uppercase authority and national government lowercase authority, when everybody is so divided and caught up in flipping, reversing, check out what happens. When they had appointed a day for him, the Jewish leadership in Rome, 
they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. I love Paul's stamina. He's a strong man. He is mind, body, soul wrapped into one. From morning till evening, he expounded to them. Now, when you go verse by verse, as we do week by week, these are known as expositions. That's why it took two years to get through the book of Acts, you see. So now he's expounding to them. And he's going to have to find what I will call his, his turning points, as David Jeremiah might put it. Turning points throughout the Older Testament. Because what we find here is that what he would do from morning to evening, he expounds these texts to them. He knows his audience. This is the Jewish leadership found in Rome, coming from their synagogues. He knows his on-ramp. He knows then we're going to have to deal with the heritage of the Jewish people and what they value. So he's testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. Where? Both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So now, it's going to be about Jesus, and it's going to be drawn from the law of Moses and the prophets. So now, let's begin to think. Where would he begin? Perhaps he would start with Genesis 3.15. The initial promise of this one we know is Christ Jesus who would crush the head of the serpent. He would probably make his way forward to Genesis chapter 49, 8 through 12, where already introducing the idea of a kingdom mindset to the Jewish population, we would be told in Genesis 49, verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes, or literally from the Hebrew, until Shiloh comes, which would be a reference, of course, to Christ Jesus. When I make my way furthermore, as I look for turning points in the Old Testament, that tremendous promise given by God to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 leaps out where we are told the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is God now speaking, of course, to David via Nathan, I will raise up your offspring after you. Offspring, the same word, seed, that's found in Genesis 3.15 who shall come after your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom, get this now, forever. 
So Pilate in John chapter 18 is quizzing Jesus. So you are the king of the Jews? Somewhat cynically. Over Christ's head on that throne is in multiple languages, king of the Jews. Is the kingdom forever if he dies on that cross? Three days later, he is raised from the grave, fulfilling that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that this kingdom is not temporal, forever. Astounding. I find it interesting, don't you, that when Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples to pray, he taught them in such a way that was riveting. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And when I set up the sequence, just a little bit later in Matthew's writings, Jesus teaches his followers, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His name was John Wanamaker. Opened a department store in Philadelphia. And within a few years, the business became one of the most successful in the U.S., but you see, operating his store wasn't his only responsibility. He was also named Postmaster General of the U.S. And get this, served as the overseer of the Christian Education Ministry, largest in the world at Bethany Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, largest at that time. And when someone asked Wanamaker how he could do all these things at once, This is what he said, quote, Early in life I read, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. My ministry pursues declaring the righteousness of God. As a result, all these other things have simply been added on. The challenge is for you and for me is that we pursue the add-ons. And we take all the things that are the results, the blessings of, and make them our pursuits. But that's what the culture does. And what we've got to do is to set up for people that are wondering, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? First thing mentality. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Result, all these things will be added unto you, not vice versa, you see. That's why you and I are struck by that classic hymn of Luther's, that when you get to the last stanza, it closes with this statement, his kingdom is forever, you see. Well, we're still in verse 23, aren't we? That's why this took two years. Sorry. 
When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, and from morning to evening he expounded. Text after text after text, you see. Testifying, first things, to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them, and here's the deal, trying to link this Jesus with both the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is all the scriptures he had at that point. But now, you're up to verse 24. Look at the reaction. Some were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieved. This is true in families. And this is true in neighborhoods. This is true at work. This is true at school. And this is true in the nation and the world. You can present truth. You can expose people to the truth, but you cannot impose the truth upon the people and get them to convert. Roman Empire tried that. That's why... You have to distinguish between Christendom and Christianity. Expose them to the truth. But they've got to internalize it. Otherwise, it's only externalized. And they're going through religious motions. And that's not salvation. Nope. Some were convinced by what he said. But I've circled the word but, so classic in the Bible. Others disbelieved. So we've got to be able to make a distinction between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of what's below and the kingdom of what's above. Keep the sword in the dark and keep the scriptures in the light. Don't reverse. Don't flip it. And make lowercase authority, uppercase authority, and uppercase authority, lowercase authority. They've got to be able to distinguish the people of the kingdom. A missionary writes, While serving in Laos, I discovered an illustration of the kingdom of God. Before the colonialists imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam reached an agreement on taxation on the border areas. Those who ate short grain rice, built their houses on stilts, decorated them with Indian-style serpents, were considered Laotians. On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice, built their houses on the ground and decorated them with Chinese-style dragons, were considered Vietnamese. Two kingdoms. The exact location of a person's home was not what determined his or her loyalty. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose, whose values he or she was exhibiting. So it is in the United States of America with us. But people, the sword is in the dark and the scriptures in the light, not vice versa. And that was a Roman sword that was there in the dark. And it is the Torah, God's word, which is in the light. 
Don't make temporal eternal. Don't make eternal temporal. And Christians understand the dynamics of all of this, you see. And so now, we're up to verse 25. And here then is the second thought that as we consider the promise of God's kingdom, we noted, first of all, the, the divisions. <clears throat> They're inevitable, aren't they? They can even divide families in 23, 24. But second of all, the contrasts that are discernible in 25 through 28, and what I want you to do with me is look very carefully now at contrasts. Would you do that? In particular, look for the word but. Always sets up a contrast. And disagreeing among themselves. And Christianity has a way of doing that. Having that effect upon people. And they departed. They left. What was the trigger? It's when Paul applies truth. After Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, here comes. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Now pause and think about that. You will indeed hear, but never understand. There's something extraordinary when an individual professes love for you. When he or she says, I'm seeking to understand you. Not merely hear you out. I want to understand. It might mean long hours and a lot of listening. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. These are religious people. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. Messianic Jew, been to Israel countless times, raised in a traditional Jewish home, but somewhere along the way, bumped into Jesus while he was out west. Came home. He said, I'm back. Will you be going back to college, Mom asked. Well, she is a Jewish mother, and I was a Jewish mother's worst nightmare. I'm planning on going back to college, I said. And then I sort of <coughs> coughed and I said that it would be a Bible college. And my mother looked at me through her Jewish eyes and asked, what is a Bible college? And I said, that's where they study Bible. And mom looked at me quizzically and said, why are you going to study the Bible? And I told both of my parents that it was a wonderful book and that everyone should try reading it. And after all, I had been a good student at Hebrew school. 
Well, my mother looked at my father, and my father paused and looked at her, and they looked terribly confused when they began to realize that what was foremost on my mind was my decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. My father gasped, my mother burst into tears, and they had a typical Jewish argument going on, and they began arguing with each other. My mother accused my father of not raising me religious enough. And my father accused my mother of raising me overly religious. I almost want to repeat that. They also expressed anger at my grandparents for being so old-fashioned and orthodox. Do you see the divisions that are happening here? And these are religious people. So at that point, my parents asked me to leave the house. And they began laying down the law regarding with whom I could speak and with whom I could not speak about Jesus, as well as what I could and what I could not do regarding my beliefs. And they said I could not speak to my grandparents, neighbors, or sisters. Of course I told them that this was not acceptable. My mother then forbade me from bringing crosses into the house, going to church, reading the New Testament, back and forth it went. Well, that evening, which was supposed to be my last night at home, I asked my mom if... um, I could show her why I believed Jesus was the Messiah. And she said, yes, as long as I didn't use the New Testament. So you know what I did? I sat down, began reading from Isaiah. In this case, Isaiah 53. From an English translation. And as I read, I fully expect that my mother would see that Isaiah 53 referred to Jesus and that she would realize he's the Messiah. I simply used the Old Testament. I thought she would also understand how deeply connected this decision was to our Jewish heritage, and she would be reassured that in no way had I rejected our inheritance, this would resolve the conflict, so I thought. And when my mother had then fallen asleep, by verse 8, I woke her up and asked if I could keep reading, and she nodded in a sleepy stupor, and when I finished the passage, I asked her, so what do you think? And she said, I told you not to read the New Testament to me. But mom, I responded, that's our Bible. Isaiah is a Jewish prophet. I don't care, she answered. Don't ever bring this up to me again. Dr. Glazer looks back over there. He's a brilliant man. In essence, what he has shared in his testimony is consistent with what people have illustrated through the years. Where in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, others disbelieved, disagreeing among themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement from the book of Isaiah. In this case, go, this people say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. In other words, they've got eyesight. They lack insight. Which is, by and large, the way this world functions. We're told the why in verse 27. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes, they've closed. So we continue working this through, trying to understand still furthermore what's going on. With their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes, they have closed. Eyesight without insight. I turn to 
a neurologist, Oliver Sacks, who in one of his books talks about Virgil, a man who had been blind from early childhood. When he was 50, Virgil underwent surgery and was given the gift of sight. But as he and Dr. Sachs found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same thing as seeing. Virgil's first experiences with sight were confusing. He was able to make out colors and movements, but arranging them in a coherent picture was more difficult. Over time, he learned to identify various objects but his habits, his behaviors, were still those of a blind man. Here's what then captures my attention from the writings of the neurologist. Quote, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. Unquote. Now, what you and I have to do in a blinded culture that is willing to operate at the surface level of eyesight is to bring forth biblical truth and offer them insight and let the debates begin. But remember, remember, the Roman sword is in the dark. It's the scriptures that are in the light. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. Can I stick, stick with the medical for a second and move from, move from neurology to cardiology? Ponder the heart. Great story. Dr. Christian Bernard, first man in the world to perform a heart transplant operation, talking to one of his transplant patients, a doctor named Dr. Philip Playbeck, when suddenly Dr. Bernard asked, would you like to see your old heart? Leibig said that he would. So at 8 o'clock one evening, these two men stood in a room at the hospital in Johannesburg, South Africa, and Dr. Bernard went up to a cupboard, took down a glass container, handed it to Dr. Blayberg, and inside the container was Blayberg's old heart. For a moment, we're told, he stood there stunned into silence, the first man in history ever to hold his own heart in his hands. Finally, he spoke and for 10 minutes plied Dr. Bernard with technical questions. And then he turned, then he turned. He turned to take a final look at the contents of the container and said, quote, so this is my old heart that caused me so much trouble. He gave it back to me, turned, and walked away from that heart forever.
and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. You're up to verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And if you read the Older Testament and you look at, for example, Genesis 12, verse 3, that the Abrahamic seed was to be a blessing to the nations, which is really the Great Commission in the Older Testament. He realized then that going to the Gentiles was not God's oops, plan B strategy. This was all along part of plan A, and he only had one plan. And so then, what we find is that out of this, we are to be reminded that we are not to be consumers of truth only, reservoirs of truth, but rather channels of truth. And there the Apostle Paul, in his incarcerated state, is still communicating truth and talking about the kingdom of God as we began this entire two-year series with. And so I'm fascinated by that, aren't you? And you're looking at that. And as you ponder that, you realize there is both the now and the not yet when you're dealing with the kingdom of God. There was the now that Jesus was dealing with when he would say the kingdom of God is at hand. And there is the not yet when he will return. And we can't emphasize one to the exclusion of the other, but we hold them in a tandem format so that we can find ways to communicate the now and the not yet tension in a healthy dynamic to a world that is wondering, why are we in the situation we're in? And I would say it's because they put the sword in the light and the scripture in the dark rather than vice versa. But now finally, verses 30 and 31, because thirdly and finally, I want you to notice the opportunities that are available you would think that the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm restricted, I'm confined, I'm limited. I'm not where I want to be doing what I want to be, doing free to be able to express myself in the manner that I, that I, I, I meant. I'm the world traveler. And now I'm confined. Uh, Paul, keep on keeping on. He does. Because in verse 30, you and I are told he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He's paying to be confined. What's his attitude like? Does he retreat and become cynical? Sarcastic? Opposite. Open heart. Open home. Welcomed all who came to him, Jew, Gentile alike, you see. Doing what? Proclaiming the kingdom of God. You've bookended it. You've bookended it. That's how Acts began. This is how Acts ends. Proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
the one who had king of the Jews over his head on that cross now reigns at the right hand of the Father overseeing kingdom matters. The scripture's in the light, not in the dark. The sword's in the dark, not in the light. Lowercase authority government does not overtake uppercase authority God. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, linking all this together. And he does this how? As you and I should, with all boldness and without hindrance. So we're talking about the opportunities that are available. Like what Sidney McLaughlin saw, American hurdler, wins two gold medals, breaks her own world record in the 400-meter hurdles at the Tokyo Olympics. Here's her August 5th Instagram post. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of my submission, obedience, and faith to Jesus Christ my Lord. So there you have Let's go back to Paul in that picture as he is in the prison and the sword's in the dark, that Roman sword is. And the scriptures are in the light. And his mindset is being illuminated by, by what's above, not by what's below. And I thought about this, and I close with this that during the Second World War of November of 1942, as Hitler's forces had invaded the English skies, and Great Britain was feeling the dread of what I will call enlarging shadow, the people in the country were asking this question. How long can they endure the unrelenting darkness of their situation? Keep looking at the imagery <clears throat> on the screen. Notice the light contrasted with the dark. Prime Minister Winston Churchill would answer that question. What could he say to give people hope and courage? On November 10th, he addressed a worried audience in Great Britain. Slowly, in his own typical, particular style, he spoke these now immortal words. Now is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end. But it is, perhaps, the end of the beginning. The book of Acts is not the beginning of the end. Simply the end of the beginning. We've gathered to be scattered to take the principles we've seen in this two-year study from the book of Acts and communicate timeless truths in timely ways for the glory of God. 
thank you for studying the book of Acts. Let's stand together. So, Father, we're thanking you now. Like an Olympian that would, through Instagram, communicate her or her loyalty to Jesus Christ. Oh, the Olympics are over. But the testimony endures. For those of us, Father, that are grappling with where we're at in the scheme of things in time, help us to understand what this is all about. We live for the timeless. We communicate ways and methods, truths that are timely, not time-bound. May we take what we've gleaned now from these verses and apply your truth in a way that brings glory to your name and your name only. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.